You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. watching from home, we, we hope that if you're able, you will jump in your Prius and come see us one of these days. Uh, we miss you, and we hope that you are able to, to join us and be in this space. There's just something about this gift, or if you ever visit New York City, if you're watching from anywhere around the world, we would love to be able to meet you. So we're grateful for this global community that we have that we call Forefront. Many of folks who watch Forefront uh, online um, don't have an affirming faith community or an anti-racist faith community in their community where they live. And so we're able to, to give that gift to people. So a few days ago, I was able to, to spend some time visiting with my grandmother. Uh, and we were reminiscing about how we often did garage sales a lot in the summers. Um, so there was two summers where we did these huge garage sales. And with a woman who has lived 83 years, <laughs> you can collect a lot of stuff. Um, and so it always, it, it's never just like, oh, let's go over on Friday and like just figure out what we want to get. No, it's weeks, weeks of like going through each room and picking up every item and every item has a story. And you have to hear that story before we can decide if this should be something that is, that is thrown away if this is something that should be sold or something that should be passed down. And so I would hear story after story. And finally, uh, this is one garage sale we had one year. Just so much stuff. And let me just tell you, that house was still filled, overflowing, even with this garage sale. A part of the problem is my aunts bring her things all the time from Goodwill. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, maybe you should participate in this garage sale so that you know, like, not to do that. Um, Reality is, is though, is we sort of kind of went through this rhythm. It was fun memories. I learned a lot about my family and our traditions and our histories. But I remember there was one particular instance where my grandmother picked up these, this, um, basically a box of old silverware. And as she opened this box of old silverware, she said, you know, running, being gay runs in our family. <laughs> okay, um, now I'm interested. Uh, tell me how spooning has, runs in our, for that, that prompted this, thought for you. And so she sort of carries on with the story. She says, well, I inherited the silverware from my aunt. And my aunt had a roommate. (laughs) I'm like, oh, I know that coded language. And she's like, you know, everybody knew who the roommate was, but no one talked about it. And she said, I'm really glad. I'm really glad that you don't have to have a roommate anymore. And I remember just stepping back and thinking to myself, wow, um, as annoying as it is to hear all these stories and go through all this stuff, this was a reminder I needed that I am tied to a much larger story, that I am tied to people that I never even knew or never even met or may never fully know their stories. I step back for a moment and I begin to consider the ways in which my grandmother was be being prepared to love and accept me before I was even born. Yeah. And as I stepped back and I thought about that, that idea of, 
of, of, a, of, of a garage sale and deciding what you're going to get rid of and what you're going to keep and what you're going to pass down, I couldn't help but stop and think about all the traditions that were being talked about, but also all the traditions and the parallels to the reality of what we go through as followers of Christ. When we grow up with certain traditions, certain beliefs, certain ideas, certain practices, and we sort of have to come to a crossing point like many of us in, our, in this church have done, and we have to ask, is this tradition, is this belief that I've been taught, am I going to trash it? Am I going to sell it? Or am I going to pass it down to someone else? What am I going to do with this stuff? And we sit with the stories and we sit with the attachments and we sit with, have I even used this in a long time? When I used this last, did it work? Was it helpful? All the things that my grandma sort of had to sit with as she listened and, and, and went through the stories of how she was going to handle all of this stuff in her house. And we do the same thing in our own journeys. We have to determine what we're going to keep, what we're going to give away, and what we're going to pass down. If you think about in this series that we're in right now, we're talking about what forms us. And so far we've talked about yeah, how experience forms us. Anybody remember what we talked about last week? You can speak. I'll give you permission to do such things. What? Reason. Yes, last week was reason. Kelly shared with us the importance of reason. And this week we're going to talk about tradition. So this whole series is based on uh, what's called the Wesley Quadrilateral by John Wesley, the founder of United Methodism. And he believed that when we're making worldview opinions and ideas, when we're shaping the way that we view the world and the way we view others, our ethics, all these types of things, coming to conclusions about different topics, that we should, we should consider both tradition, reason, experience, and scripture if we're Christians. That we should consider all four. And reality is, for many of us, we often just consider one based on the household or Christian tradition that we grew up in. The Bible says it, that settles it. I don't need experience. Tradition, that doesn't matter. That goes to the crazy Catholics. Reason, science, who would ever follow such things, right? And so we sort of, or, or on the other side, you have people who are like, oh, I can just trust my own feelings. I don't need to think about scripture. I don't really need to follow any traditions. You know what? Reason, that doesn't really matter. What works for them doesn't work for me. And so I'm just going to do what follows my heart. Even though maybe what following your heart is sometimes actually causes harm and pain to other people and yourself unknowingly. But instead, how can we consider all four parts of this quadrilateral in order to really um, make holistic and wise decisions? And so this week, we're talking about tradition. So just as my grandma was sort of held on to relics and sentimental items and then let go of certain other ones, there's another instance in Scripture in Exodus chapter 15 where we see someone have a very similar experience. You maybe know the story probably pretty well. It's a classic Sunday school children's church story. It's a story where the Israelites, they finally escaped 430 years of slavery with the Egyptians. They find themselves... Um, just almost free of Pharaoh's power and control on the, on the edge of the Red Sea. Historically, this would be considered the Reed Sea. We think there was a translation issue there because there was no Red Sea throughout history, but there is a Reed Sea. And so they stand there and they get ready to cross and the Bible says that the waters separated, the Israelites made it across, but as the Israelites made it across, the waters came crashing in on Pharaoh and his armies. Now whether you think this is a literal story or a metaphorical symbol, uh, whatever that may be, we, it's beside the point. What is, what is the point of this story, what is the purpose of this story, is to tell us something I think so much deeper and so much more tangible. Because this is where we pick up in our story in Exodus chapter 15, verse 19. When Pharaoh's horses and chariots and charioters rushed into the sea, the Lord brought down the water crashing on them. But the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophet, Sarah's sister, took a tambourine and led all the women as they played their tambourine and danced. 
And Miriam sang this song. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled down both horse and rider into the sea. I think it's interesting here. Miriam and the rest of the Israelites, they had to leave Egypt really, really quick. I mean, Pharaoh decided, okay, I'm going to let you all go. There, there was not a lot of time to, to call the U-Haul and to get the movers there and get everything packed up. No, it's not going to happen. It was grab whatever you can closest to you, whatever is most meaningful, and you need to get out of here before Pharaoh changes his mind. And he did change his mind pretty quickly, which is why he was chasing them to try to get them to come back. But it's fascinating to me that what Miriam grabs when she leaves town is a tambourine. A tambourine. And not just her, it says that several of the women grab their tambourines. Because when she decided to start a little queen fest and kind of walk around the room with this tambourine to make a performance, all the other ladies grab their tambourines and they start going around and they're excited and they're dancing and they're just so excited because they finally, after 430 years and generations and generations, they're free. They're free from enslavement. They're free from oppression and they are filled with joy. They grab a tambourine, not a family painting, not the family pottery that was passed down or the dinner plates or not a few snacks. Maybe they did grab some snacks along the way. I know I would have, some, some licorice. <laughs> but Miriam, Miriam and these other women, they grab their tambourine. They find themselves on the other side of being enslaved people and they grab their tambourine. I wonder if this tambourine had been played in many other places and spaces throughout their story and their history. I wonder what, the, what role the tambourine played in the generations before. I wonder if those tambourines were passed down. I wonder what stories those tambourines could tell. I wonder if those tambourines were played through songs of lament and crying out to God to free them for their, from their enslavement. I wonder if those tambourines were prayed, played to pray or played to rejoice or played to remember that when God, what God had brought the previous generations through, God would bring them through again. I wonder what the stories were that grandma would tell about that tambourine. If that tambourine, and, and in this very moment, they are playing it with all their heart and all their soul and all their might because for the first time, they realize that they no longer have to birth little children into slavery. And for the first time, they're filled with joy because they will finally be free. That for the first time, maybe, they actually have a reason to play that tambourine to rejoice. A few weeks ago, we had a robust uh, worship and at the very end of the service, the songs just got even more lit, and it was just great in here. And Vanita walked away. I'm like, where is she going? How could she walk away, you know, during this beautiful song at the end? And all of a sudden, she comes out, and she's got a tambourine. <laughs> and she's just going to town on this tambourine. And I'm like, I could never play a tambourine like that. Teach me. And, and I was just like, wow, she's just filled with joy and, and expressing it through the beating of this tambourine. And I couldn't help but, as I read this passage this week, to picture Vanita filled with joy, dancing in the front row, playing that tambourine. Oh, the stories that we could tell, all the stories they could probably tell us of the playing of that tambourine. Also, I can't read this story and not think about the spirituals and songs of a lament that came out of the enslaved peoples of America, who without instruments found a way to somehow create traditions and songs with their voices reverberating through the woods. Songs of lament, songs of pain, songs of sorrow, songs for, for cries to be delivered from their oppressors. In 1845, a memoir was written by Frederick Douglass, the narrative of Frederick Douglass, and, and he describes it like this. He says, enslaved people would make dense old woods for miles around reverberate with their wild songs, revealing at once the highest joy and the deepest sadness. They would compose and sing as they went along, consulting neither time nor tune, 
The thought came up and it came out, if not in the word, in the sound. And as frequently in the one as in the other. They told a tale of woe which was not altogether beyond my feeble comprehension. They were tones, loud and long and deep. They breathed the, the, the prayer and complaint of souls boiling over with bitterness and anguish. Every tone was a testimony against slavery and a prayer to God for deliverance from chains. I could imagine Miriam and the women on the other side of the Reed Sea playing their tambourines, rejoicing, maybe singing the very songs that they had sung as their prayers to God to deliver them, believing that God would deliver them one day. And here they are again with their tambourine. Here they are with her again wondering, boy, I, I, bet, I wish that my mother, I wish that my grandmother could have played her tambourine and rejoiced, but I will play it for all of them with the same fervor. For we fought for this moment and we have finally arrived. Oh, if the tambourine could tell the stories of traditions of long before. I believe this ancient story from Exodus where Miriam brings his tambourine, it is, it is significant for us because it is a reminder to those of us who left certain places or faith traditions behind that caused us great trauma. It is a reminder to us that even the places that have caused us trauma and pain in other faith traditions, there is still something to bring with us. Miriam could have said, I'm just leaving all that behind. I want no reminders of that. But no, Miriam still brought that tambourine with. I don't know about you, but when I think about my, my own faith journey in my own life, uh, there were a lot of things from my former faith tradition that I've left behind, that I have not brought with me, that I let go, that I knew caused pain and great sorrow and would continue to perpetuate that. But there were some things I brought with me. And one of the things I brought with me is Christian music. Now, there's some Christian songs I just can't do anymore. But there's a lot of songs that I can do, and I can reframe them, and, my, and, I, and, I, and I can recharacterize them, and sometimes I even reword them. I reassign meaning to them. But more than that, a lot of times when I hear certain songs, it invokes certain memories in me. And I've done enough therapy now that when I hear certain songs, I can remember the good things, too, that came from those songs, the good experiences and emotions and memories that I had. It's taken time. It's taken work. But I tell you what, the songs that come up in my soul from before, I brought those with me on my journey out of enslavement, out of oppression from the former faith traditions I was a part of. Whenever I've done nursing home ministry, it's amazing to me uh, whether I was going to do nursing home ministries to do like a service or I was going to visit people in the church that I was pastoring who were in the nursing home. Without a shadow of a doubt, I knew there were three songs that I could start singing no matter where people were on their spectrum of memory or on their decline of dementia Whatever that may be, I knew there were three songs I could start singing. And without a shadow of a doubt, I knew that those people would start singing with me. Despite denominational ties, despite race, despite age, I knew there were three songs. You know what they were? I could just, and I wouldn't even need to provide lyrics for them. They would just come wellowing out of their soul. Amazing grace. How great thou art. And if I had this, just the right person, the right group, in the garden. You know that one? And to me, that's really beautiful about these three things is that they have a deep tradition. They have deep history. So deep that they are down in people's souls. That even as their mind deteriorates, somehow the lyrics of those songs just come flooding back when they hear the tune. Somehow, that tambourine can't be taken from them. 
somehow that tradition is so deep and it grounds them in such a way that I can't tell you how many times I've done nursing home ministry and saw tears coming down people's eyes and asked them why they were crying. And it wasn't because the song was so beautiful. It was because the memories they had of singing that song in an old country church or in a room full of people in an, in a, in an urban mega church hearing the voices sing that out as people tickled the, tea, the, 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 the keys on a piano. The memories that come back to people of holding their mom or dad or their grandparents' hand in church as they sang that song out or getting pinched underneath their their arm if they were squirming too much. The memories that come because of those songs. The tradition. I think sometimes here at Forefront, um, you know, we can play certain songs that can be triggering and they can remind us of certain things that can be hard to hear or with a certain energy that it's like, oh, that, that reminds me of some really hard days with that former faith tradition I was a part of or that really brings back some memories or I know in my last church, people didn't even like me to, someone to play the piano underneath my prayer at the end of the sermon because it felt manipulatively emotional like I was trying to get them to come down to the altar. Even though I never did an altar call, it reminded them of the times that they were prompted. I realize that songs can be hard. It can be a thing that some of us want to leave behind. But I also want to remind us that, that some of us, we've brought them with us. And it's our only tambourine we brought with. And some of us, we will leave those behind and we'll bring something else with. And that's the gift of an interdenominational church. Is that we're all bringing different things with us from our different traditions. That we can all learn and pick up new things. As well as we can adapt our understanding of old things. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. There's a song that... I, uh, at one point when I was singing that, I would change the word a wretch like me because I don't believe I'm a wretch. I believe I'm a beloved child of God. If you've ever been around me very long, you know that I make sure you know you also are a beloved child of God because I'm like, beloved child of God, we got to get out of this space. They're going to charge us extra if we're not out at a certain time. So I don't like to call myself a wretch, but when I think about the story of how Amazing Grace, and you know the tradition of how the song Amazing Grace was created, all of a sudden... I'm okay singing the word wretch. And let me tell you why. John Newton wrote that song over 250 years ago now. He was one who literally would go over to Africa and put people forcefully on a slave ship and bring them over to America to be forced into slavery. But one night on a boat, a storm came. They thought they were all going to die, all the men on the crew and all the folks who they were bringing over from Africa to America's. And John Newton cried out that God would save them. And somehow, he said, on that trip, his eyes were open. And he realized what he was doing. As he cried out, not just to save his life, but to save the life of the people on the boat, he realized that they were just as valuable as him. And he vowed to never do it again. And instead, he committed the rest of his life to seeing not that slaves were brought over on slave ships, or people were brought over on slave ships and put into chains and enslaved. But instead... That slavery was abolished. And when he wrote the words of this song, he said, That was a wretched thing I did. But God opened my eyes to help see the racism and hatred that lied within me. 
And now I see what I don't see, what I never saw. And let me live different. And thank God for God's grace. And so whenever I sing the song Amazing Grace, I do still now sing A Wretch Like Me because I think, I think about this person whose eyes were opened. And I think about how I often need my eyes open from traditions and beliefs and systemic issues in this world that I don't see that I'm causing pain and hurt in. And I pray, God, open my eyes. Break the traditions open that maybe I have been passed down from generations that I may see your people and I may see myself and I may see you the way you do. Another song that I often change the lyrics to is, is uh, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. You know that one? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. <sighs> blood makes me a little uncomfortable. I just, <laughs> just in general, it's a hard thing for me. Um, and, I, and I also don't believe in ransom theory atonement that you know, God was so pissed off that God needed to kill God's self in order to make, it, make God help, happy with everyone else. We can talk, grab coffee if you're like, what? And we can talk about that. And so I don't really believe like that, you know, blood takes care of everything because it just kind of sounds like an abusive dad. And so I had to change the words to that, to that song to nothing but the love of Jesus. And I love that song. And I didn't want to get rid of it because it means something to me and it's exciting and I have a lot of memories with my grandma with it. So I just changed the lyrics. It's okay to change traditions. Just like my grandma was like, okay, we're not going to call Austin your roommate. We're going to change with tradition and with time. We're going to evolve we're going to hold on to what is good and true. We're going to chew on the meat and we are going to spit out the bones. So let me ask you this morning, what did you bring with you from your former faith tradition? What did you leave behind? And what are you going to pass down? What do you still, where do you still see God working? Where do you see, still, still see that's good from your former faith traditions that you can hold on to, that you can pass down? What traditions have changed or evolved for you over time? What things can you adapt? What has God brought you through? Because there is something to glean in our worldview and our ethics and our ideas of God from tradition. We shouldn't just throw it all away. To me, I think that um, being a part of a faith tradition like Forefront um, is really great because we honor and acknowledge the fact that Christianity has always been progressing. That's why we're progressive Christians. Because we do not live and express the same worship and the same faith as has been done for over 2,000 years. I am grateful to be a fart, part, a fart, wow. I am grateful to be a part of a faith tradition that, that wow, man, that was good. Yikes, I just can't believe I did that. Um, I'm grateful to be a part of a faith tradition that 12 disciples decided, you know what, we're gonna, we're, we're gonna question the rabbinic teachings of our past and our history. And we're gonna maybe believe that the Messiah that's come is not how we have been told would be in the Torah and interpreted. I'm grateful that 12 men and three women decided that at Resurrection Sunday that maybe they were wrong about what they had been taught about Jesus or what they had thought about Jesus. I'm grateful to be part of a faith tradition that five, over 500 years ago, Martin Luther said, you know what, I think that the, our Catholic faith has started to evolve to a point that I think sometimes it's causing more damage than good. And I think maybe we need to rethink some things and reinterpret and understand this. And you know what? Now that the printing press has come out, maybe everybody should be able to read this and not just the blows in power tell people what it says. I'm grateful for a person that stood up and said, let's do something different. And the Protestant Reformation started. And from them, thousands of Christian denominations started. Different ideas of who God was and the ability to question and wrestle and wonder and let traditions change. You know what? I feel real good about being a part of a progressive church. Because I'm not the first. I'm a part of a rich tradition of reforming, of 
tossing some things away, holding on to some things, and passing other things down. I'm grateful to be a part of a tradition that I can look back and see that work done. I'm grateful to stand upon the shoulders of a tradition of holding on to what is good, reframing the parts of our faith that have been weaponized or not fully understood. Wrap up our time together reading with you this quote from Reverend C.C. Jones Davis. She describes gratitude as a black female preacher by saying, I'm grateful to come from a people who did not throw the Bible away, even when it was used to keep us in bondage for 246 years. A people who did not throw Jesus away, all the wild crosses burned in our yards. This is a people with a holy imagination. This is a people with a holy defiance and a people who worship the God of the Exodus and their refrain in the liberating power of Jesus Christ. I'm grateful to be a part of a people, as a queer man as well, who did not throw the Bible away, but chose to reframe not what the Bible says, but how people understood it. I'm grateful for a people, both black and gay, both Protestant and Catholic, who are willing to reform and to change and to evolve as time goes on. It's a gift, instead of just throwing it all away. It's a gift that you are invited to be a part of, the evolution of, for the next 500 years. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.